1: Good Sunday evening, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Rocky Top Rewind. I am Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us on this Sunday evening. A little NFL playoff football. Pretty crazy NFL games today. Uh, but uh, lots going on in the world of Tennessee athletics. We're going to dive into it here in the next hour. Uh, we'll take your questions, so jump on in those into the comments section as well. Be sure and uh, like this video. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you're not, so a subscriber. Uh, to VolQuest, certainly recommend that you guys do that. Uh, we had a ton of coverage over the weekend. Lots of stuff from Tennessee's junior day up to the minute news on who is in town. Uh, reaction from guys as they left town. Of course, full coverage of Tennessee basketball as well. So lots of things going on at VolQuest.com. Good conversation as well. Uh, it's going to be pretty uh, interesting here as Josh Heupel still looking for a uh, tight ends coach. We'll see where that search goes here in the next week or two. And then, obviously, players getting ready to come back to campus to start the spring semester. Tennessee, uh, Taven Jackson goes into the transfer portal. You knew when he went in, as late as he went in, he knew where he was going, and he has landed. He is at um, Indiana and is now a member of the Hoosiers. No surprise there, given his family ties. Uh, and everything that he has with Indiana. That was not a shock at all. Um, Eric Kane not with us. We let him go on his honeymoon finally after he got married. So uh, coming up tonight on the show, we're going to have Matt Ray join us. He's going to talk about junior day, who always was here and who wasn't and what it means and um, who Tennessee made a move with, who Tennessee's standing pretty good with. It's awful early. No surprise. There was no commit. So we'll see what happens who Tennessee gets back to campus, but we'll dive hard into junior day with Matt Ray. Rob Lewis is going to join us in a little bit to talk about the Tennessee basketball team, which obviously laid an egg yesterday, did not play very well at home on Chris Lofton Day as they fall to Kentucky 63-56 in a disappointing loss. And I understand college basketball, you're not going to win them all, but uh, to lose to that Kentucky team with the way they were playing and for Tennessee to play as poorly as they did, shoot the ball as poorly as they did We talked about it last week. They weren't going to continue to shoot sixty percent, but you didn't expect them to miss, um, you know, five layups the way that they did. That cost them basketball. It cost them the basketball game, and obviously they got manhandled on the board. So Rob is going to um, join us a a little bit later in the show, and then at the end of the show, Austin will make his regular appearance. He will recap some thoughts on Junior Day, uh, talk a little bit more about some postseason games that some guys are going to be in and we'll just talk a little all things Tennessee and take your questions as well so jump on in here and get into those questions and we'll dive right into those as well as uh, bring on our our, our guys as well Matt Ray's going to join us in just a second here Austin I'll go ahead and Austin A I'll go ahead and get to your question was it that obvious to Taven that he wasn't as good as Nico or was he not happy at Tennessee I I think Taven felt like his opportunities at Tennessee were were going to be limited Um, Joe Milton played well obviously in the in the Orange Bowl game, uh, which was the first thing that Taven Jackson looked at. And, and Nico's obviously a guy everybody's been talking about for a year. And so I think Taven felt like it was going to be in his best interest to find an opportunity elsewhere where he felt like he'd have a better shot at winning the job uh, and having a chance to get on the field. Going back home to Indiana uh, made a ton of sense. And, uh, you know, I think when when Nico committed a year ago and, and Joe – Milton stayed, then I, I think at that point Taven Jackson was probably wondering kind of what his future was at Tennessee. Had Joe Milton left after he lost the job to Hendon Hooker, maybe he takes a different direction with that. Um, but obviously, in the situation that he was in, um, that that was not was uh, that was not going to be the. You know, he, he just didn't feel like his opportunity to play at Tennessee was going to be there. So that's kind of where that's at. Keep those questions coming. If you got some recruiting questions, we got a guy coming up right now who can answer those for you. So let's welcome him to the program. He is the latest addition to the VolQuest family. He's got his VolQuest swag on right now. Look at him. It's Matt Ray's in the house. He's got him a backdrop going. He's got he's got his Peter Millar on that's costing me an arm and a leg thanks to Austin Price. But uh, looking good, Matt. How you doing, my man? I'm good, Brent. How are you? I'm doing great. All right, so junior day um, yesterday, and these are always interesting to me because what do you make of a junior day in January, right? So what's your takeaway? I mean, they're not going to get a bunch of commitments coming out of them, but you have talked to a bunch of kids who were here. You had a bunch of information on guys who were coming here. Give, give the fans out there tonight a big picture takeaway from junior day, number one for Tennessee after the season that they just had.
2: Well, I think it starts with what you said right there after the season that they just had. Uh, the, the first takeaway for me is we started talking to guys yesterday as things wrapped up was that Tennessee established um, a solid footing in the recruitment of a lot of elite prospects like Mac, Mike Matthews, Ron Wingo, and those guys dating back to the season. Um, Williams wannery they caught his attention even though he wasn't out here for a game day. He openly kind of admitted that the season's what really piqued his interest in Tennessee is they were, you know, among some of the schools recruiting him hard. And I think you start to see Tennessee, you know, benefit from an 11 and 2 season. You, you look back, you know, each year there's going to be games that sell out or get close to a sellout at Neyland stadium with, with Florida and Alabama, Georgia and town. But when you can capitalize on those game day atmospheres and win, and those, and those recruits experience that, I think, I think that's what we saw the most of yesterday was a lot of elite guys, highly sought after guys come back to town and, we were excited to be there. It was a long day for those guys, and they were still very engaged, you know, throughout the day, sat through a basketball game, sat through meetings with coaches, photo shoots and tours. So, I think overall that was the biggest takeaway for me was the impression that Tennessee's season made on some of these guys.
1: How much of this, Matt, is now Tennessee's reaping the rewards of tangible evidence versus hope?
2: Yeah, I, I think absolutely, you know – one of the things that we heard yesterday from multiple receivers was you know they had a bullet winner in Jalen Hype. You know, and you can you can openly point to that now. You can point to the fact that, you know, Hendon Hooker was a you know Heisman front runner for the majority of the season. You had the nation's number one offense. So I think, you know, that is a, a very good point, Brett. It's not hope. They, you know, Kelsey Pope, when we had the chance to talk to those guys in open locker room after the orange bowl, that's one of the things that he told me was now we can point to the product. We don't have to point to the vision. And, you know, I think again, when you see these elite prospects come through campus, that's something you have to do because they're going to go to the Alabamas, the Georges, the LSU's places that have won championships. And, you know, it's, it's hard to overcome that sometimes.
1: Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's talk specifically about a couple couple of things here. Some guys are asking some questions here in the comments section. Ryan Wingo is a receiver name we've heard a lot about for a while, right? He takes in the Tennessee-Pittsburgh game at Pittsburgh. He's in Knoxville for a game this season. He's back for junior day this weekend. Several other receivers have been in town as well. What do you think what do you think the early look of the receiver board is right now? Is that board going to be deeper, Matt, than it was a year ago? It kind of felt like they recruited four or five guys and that was really it at the receiver position last year. Now they got Nathan Laycock, but obviously they didn't land some of the other guys, but that wasn't the deepest recruiting board. Is this year going to feel different at the receiver spot in terms of what that recruiting list looks like?
2: Yeah, certainly. I think it already does you know, feel deeper this year. When you have, you know, Ron Wingo and Mike Matthews on campus on the same day, two guys that are both arguably the top receiver at the position. And then you've got J.J. Harrell who comes in. It's a guy that Tennessee likes that can stretch the field vertically. Um, He's going to have schools continue to pop into his recruitment as his junior tape circulates. Already, you know, kind of a top 254 star, but a guy that I think the ceiling is very high for. Uh, Jeremiah McClellan, we've seen his stock rise coming out of the his junior season. So those four guys right there are guys that, you know, I think we got a pretty good picture of where Tennessee wants to point in that receiver room right now. But it, it's a position that's a lot deeper than it was last year. And, again, you know, it goes back to you know the results that we saw on the field this year.
1: When you look at that, I mean – feels like they need to take, you know, they only got the one this year. And then obviously they got the transfer uh, from Oregon and Thornton as well. Feels like that's a position, even though two years ago they took, you know, Webb and, you know, and and Nimrod and, and, and that group feels like they need to go three receivers in this class. I mean, is that out of the realm you think?
2: No, I, I think, I think it's three at least right now, you know, and given the, the way that that room has continued to kind of evolve, you know, we'll see who's here after this season, you know, guys that can come back, guys that will have an opportunity to go to the next level. But, you know, three to four guys, I don't think are out of the realm of possibility. You know, I I really think right now that the four guys that were here yesterday all could have a spot in this class if they wanted. Obviously, Matthews and Wingo are going to have a spot, you know, anytime that they would want it. But, you know, I think J.J. Harrell's a guy that, Again, his stock continues to soar. Jeremiah McClellan, a guy that can line up in the slot and do a lot of the things that they want to do, quick twitch, quick bursting, you know, short areas. So, uh, again, I think that's an interesting spot for them to evaluate. But then you've got the dynamic with a guy like Mike Matthews, who if you went out for him, he's a guy that you can put inside or outside and can do a lot of things. So how does that, you know, shape the room if you went out there?
1: Well, we know Josh Heupel likes size and it has to have speed. He will compromise some size for speed. He's not going to compromise much speed for, from the for, for size. He will a little bit, but he wants a guy that can run for sure. Um, let, let me ask you this. Again, I'm just kind of piggybacking off some questions. Jackie and Austin, some of these guys are all asking over here on the side. Taven Jackson's gone. Recruiting room right now has two scholarship guys. Gaston Moore is your third quarterback. Two things. It, portal guy seems like a, a reach for me right now because I'm not sure a guy wants to jump into, if he's in the portal, he's probably leaving a situation where he doesn't think he can play. He doesn't want to come into a situation where he don't think he, where he does not think he's going to have a real shot to play. So I don't know that that looks really realistic. Does the 24 board look different? Does the interest in a 2024 guy, is it, will it be different now that there's only two scholarship guys on campus even though Nico is the five-star freshman that everybody's been talking about for so many months now.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you you have to, to nail another quarterback evaluation in this class. You They did it with Taven Jackson. You know, don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, I liked your answer to the first question. Taven's a guy that can go somewhere and play, you know, um, and you know maybe it's not that highly rated five star again, and and they are in on Jaden Davis, but it does it doesn't seem like that they're the trendy team there, you know. But they've continued to recruit him, and he's continued to be, you know, actively listening. But wh- what do you do with that position? Because I think as APs touched on a couple of times, you know, Nico Nico has changed the you know perception of the Tennessee quarterback room, and he hasn't played a snap yet, so. You know, where where do they go there? It's going to be very interesting. We'll see. Um, but that that's a position that, you know, last winter at this time, they were evaluating Dante Moore, Christopher Vezina, Nico, a handful of guys that all ended up, you know, at or near five-star status at the end of the day. Where do they go in that, you know, room this year? It's, it's going to be tough to say, and I think it's too early to tell right now.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to get a high-profile guy to to want to jump in. Um and knowing that you're also going to be you're already heavily involved in a couple of class of 2025 high profile guys Mm -hmm. already, right?
3: Right, yeah.
1: The kid from Lexington. Right. And and then and and then McIntyre's in state. So so those are two high profile guys you're already involved in heavily.
2: Yes. Yeah. So Josh Hopple already out, you know, watches McIntyre's basketball game and then turns around and they host, you know, Bowley on Saturday. So that's like you said, two guys high profile that you're already involved in and have already established, you know, solid footing. And so who's the transition guy there? Because I think as these kids follow recruiting as much as we do, you know, they know what's going on. They ask the right questions most of the time. So who, who wants to, you know, maybe come in and get sandwiched in between, you know, two high-profile guys in 23 and 25, potentially. And you, you need to find somebody that's got a lot of confidence, and you know we'll, we'll see who that turns out to be in the end. But I, I'm like you. I think it's a very important evaluation process right now.
1: Yeah, and I think the spring eval for that position could be really important because we've seen some guys emerge in the spring, kind of the late bloomers a little bit, even though those guys come off the board so early. That's going to be a really important evaluation time, even this month is going to be an important evaluation time for Joey Halsey. It's not just about going and seeing McIntyre play basketball. You're going out and looking for maybe a little bit of a diamond in the rough in that 24 mm-hmm. class because the high-profile guys, you're going to have a hard time getting them to, to answer your phone call and, and really dive into that one. One guy who's got plenty of phone calls that Tennessee's trying to be involved in that Georgia has clearly made a priority is Sammy Brown. And, and Jackie wants to know, where where do you think Tennessee stands with Sammy Brown? I'm going to give you my take, first of all. First of all, I love this kid. I love everything about this kid's game. He's a wrestler, so I'm, I'm, I'm hooked on that. He's a state champion wrestler. Um, he does have some family ties to East Tennessee, which is what brought him to campus a year and a half ago for the first time. But it feels like Georgia's got an early hand there to me. I don't know how you feel about it, Matt, but it feels like if I were putting somebody out front, and, and Sammy's made it very clear nobody's out front, but if I was couching a bet right now, it's hard for me not to say Georgia is not going to be the front runner for him ultimately.
2: Yeah, Georgia, Georgia probably right out front alongside with Clemson. Uh, you know, both of those teams have done a really good job. Like you said, he's got family ties to East Tennessee. He's he's connected well with the Tennessee staff. Had a strong connection with Chad Creamer, um, who's now on staff at USF with Alex Golish. Um, but yeah, Tennessee's done well in that recruitment, but Sammy's probably not going to take any January visits right now as it stands. Like you mentioned, Brent, he's a wrestler, so he's got region and state tournaments going on. So as of now, he doesn't have anything set. Uh, a lot of schools trying to get him to campus. And, and I don't think he wants to put any one school off right now or uh, cause anybody to feel left out while he's got all this other stuff going on. So I think he's a guy that will put, wrestling in the rear view, and, you know, when that wraps up and the recruiting calendar reopens, he will get out and start seeing some of these schools again. But right now, you know, he has reiterated that there's not a clear clear leader, but Tennessee's definitely battling Clemson and Ohio State – or Clemson and Georgia, along with several others right now.
1: Yep, really, really talented player. Wrestling's a lot of weekend stuff in the month of January, so he's not going to give up a Saturday on the wrestling mat. Uh, for, for an unofficial visit to his school. I look for him to be out and about quite a bit in the spring. Um, so we'll see. All right, so Tennessee's got another junior day coming up the end of this month. Is that one going to – you think – I know it's early. You feel like that one's going to have the same amount of kind of juice that this one had in, same, in terms of the high-profile names that, that were in town this past weekend, or is it too early to say?
2: I – it's probably a little early to say we'll see who they get back up there, but I I don't feel like it's going to match up to this one. And, man, when – you know, when I put on the general quarters last night, one of the first impressions, and I said it earlier, is as we continued to talk to guys, it was, wow, this is a a really – you know, sought after guy, and it just kept going and going and going until we finished the night with Ron Wingo. So, um, uh, overall, just a really good collection of talent that Tennessee got to campus yesterday. I think that's going to be, you know, hard to match in two weeks. But, you know, there's some guys coming in that are, you know, still big-time recruits, guys that they have, you know, higher up on their board at certain positions. And and right now, the the early name that we know is Jordan Marshall, the running back out of Ohio.
1: Yep, and uh, that's a big time name as well. Tennessee trying to get some offensive line guys in uh, it, it, as many times as they can for spring practice and and all those things. And uh, I, I know Andrew, you're you talking, asking about some of the the 24 O line targets. The the Pringle kid looks like he's coming off the board early. That is not good news for Tennessee. That one needs to go longer for Tennessee. I think to be in it. I don't think that trends well for him to make an early commitment at this point, Matt. Um, you may disagree, so I'll let you answer that. And I'll ask you this one as well as we, we get out the door here. We'll get Rob in a couple of minutes to talk a little basketball. But I want to this. Is there one or two guys that after you visited with them yesterday, you felt like, boy, he's talking t- differently about Tennessee than he did when I talked to him the last time, whether it was days before he came in for the visit or a month ago or whatever when you talked to him. Was there an in-state kid or two? That, that Tennessee you felt like really made a move with yesterday. I don't mean get ready to commit, but do you feel like, boy, they really helped their cause with this, with kid X or kid, kid Y yesterday?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I'll go back to the O-line target quickly. Um, I'm, I'm like you, Brent. I don't think that it's good news for Tennessee that Camp Pringle's coming off the board early. It just doesn't feel like Tennessee in that one right now. I've had a couple of conversations with him since he announced um, the commitment day and he's maintained that he's not giving any school a silent commitment ahead of time. And he's, You know, fielding calls and trying to ask all the right questions. But he wants to get this out of the way. It it still doesn't feel like, you know, with Tennessee not getting him back to campus this weekend, uh, that that one's going to head in the ball's direction right now. Um, Another couple of names, I think, to note, Tennessee's continuing to try to recruit the tackle position hard. Uh, Daniel Calhoun out of Centennial in Roswell, Georgia. He's a guy that Tennessee had up a couple of times during the season. And and Glenn Ellerby has a good connection with him. He's playing basketball right now. So his schedule is – all over the place, not traveling as much on the weekends. Um, Donovan Harbor out of Wisconsin didn't make it down, and then Josiah Thompson, the um, highly sought-after tackle out of South Carolina, he was scheduled to come into Tennessee, but ended up having a last-minute change of plans and and went to Athens to see the national championship parade at Georgia, um, so those are four names that, you know, Tennessee's really trying at at the tackle position, and I feel like right now that's that's where Tennessee's trying to grow this offensive line class at, is at that tackle position. There are, you know, a couple of classes where there weren't as many tackle bodies, a lot of tackle bodies in 23, and a lot of good tackle bodies in 24. And you just – you have to swing there when when you right. have that many guys. You know, it's such a premium position now. And then, you know, as far as moving the needle with some guys, Austin and I talked to, you know, pretty much everybody that came through, it felt like um, – the two Maryland kids from Saint Francis, you know, Tennessee has impressed them during the season and they both came out, you know, and said that Tennessee right now is setting the bar in their recruitment. They they both have varying timelines. Um, but right now Tennessee's in a good position for Ivy Obedeguo and Andres. Nice. Yeah, Say I, it I th- with
1: conviction. Say it with conviction. I
2: think I got yes. I think I got it. I
1: We'll just call him Ify. Yeah, right?
2: we're just gonna we're just gonna call him Iffy. the we're rest boys, of the way. Yeah, right? me and Ify yeah. are boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, and then Idris Farouk, you know, uh, teammates. They liked what they saw at Tennessee. They liked what they heard from Tim Banks and Willie Martinez. It felt like Tennessee moved the needle with those guys. Is they're looking at probably spring to you know early summer commitment timelines in state. You know, Boo Carter and Marcus Gorey both back up here. And Tennessee's been sitting in a good position for both of those guys for a while. It just comes down to how many more visits are they going to take, and you know, when do they want to see this thing wrap up? You know, the more visits you take, the more you know that you know some uncertainty can creep in, I guess. But Tennessee's been in a good position for both of those guys. I think Boo and Marcus both got some more questions answered that they wanted yesterday. Um, you know, and I think again, probably for me, Ron Wingo. I think right now what Tennessee's done since, you know, really late last summer with him. I think Tennessee is, you know, in a really good position for Ron Wingo coming out of this first junior day as he's going to take some more visits. He's going to be at Texas A&M and Colorado for sure in the coming weeks. So we'll see what happens with Ron Wingo coming out of the winter, but the balls are in a really good position there as they continue to work that recruitment hard.
1: Uh, fantastic stuff, Matt. Hey, you, you earned your you earned your swag on this one. I'm I'm really
2: starting to see why AP you know, is into this Peter Millar. It's it's quite the comfortable
1: shirt. It's quite the comfortable shirt. I tell you what, we're quite comfortable with you as a part of the Ball Quest family because great stuff leading up to Junior Day, great stuff uh, coming out of Junior Day as well. Thanks for your time tonight. Hey, if you like what he says here, he's going to be on the podcast with us on Tuesday. He'll be on the Thursday podcast as well. Plenty of recruiting stuff coming up in the next couple of days following Tennessee's junior day as well. That is Matt Ray. Matt, thanks buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you. Thank you, Matt. Matt Ray joining us now. I tell you what, Trey, we're just going to roll. Okay. We're running a couple minutes late. Uh, I'm good. I'll get me a gulp of water here while Rob Lewis is talking about the debacle that was Thompson Bowling Arena yesterday. Uh, for Chris Lofton Day. So let's welcome Rob into the program now. Tennessee falls to Kentucky by a score of 63-56. to 56. Rob, I said this off the top, you're not going to win every game. Tennessee was not going to go unbeaten in SEC play. But that one yesterday was a tough one to swallow.
0: Well, it was just ugly. I mean, Tennessee played a terrible basketball game, did not deserve to win. Um, just got – I mean, I, I wrote this yesterday. Kentucky beat them at their own game. I mean, Tennessee most nights is is the tougher, you know, grittier – Harder-working team, and they weren't yesterday. Kentucky beat them up, and, and Tennessee got exactly what they deserved on a night when, when you get out-rebounded 43-23. to 23.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think of all the things, look, you're, you're not going to shoot the ball well, right? I mean, you're not going to shoot. You, you said it last week on this show, or uh, maybe it was on a podcast. I mean, they're not going to shoot 60, 65% from the field like they did, you know, against Mississippi State and South Carolina for a week of basketball. You're going to have nights where it, it doesn't go in the bucket. Um, but to miss the bunnies, to miss the layups, but to get out rebounded like that, th- that, that, that's gotta be an ugly film session for Rick for Rick Barnes with those guys on the rebounding end. Cause that's the biggest surprise and the biggest takeaway for me is just getting out muscled on the glass. I know you had concerns about their rebounding ability in the preseason, uh, but they had answered those pretty well against some pretty physical teams, but they didn't get off the bus from the rebounding standpoint on Saturday. No,
0: not at all. And you know, and I'm, I, I, st- I still think they're better than that, but I mean, I don't think it was fool's gold, to, you know, to think that they had solved their rebounding issues or kind of answered that question. Cause they came into yesterday's game, leading the sec in rebounding right. plus nine, you know, over almost plus 10 per game in rebounding margin. And, and that had not just, that wasn't product of this, the non-conference schedule, I mean, that had carried over and been true in, in the sec games they played. And, you know, so much of rebounding is just effort. I mean, you know, you, you knew she was going to get his, but you know, he, he had what, 13 rebounds. I mean, that's, that's a big number, but for him, that's, an, that's an average night at the office. I mean, Tennessee just didn't have anybody show up and, you know, the wing Josiah, I think it was, was the leader with five. They do, you know, ha, had four euros played a, a great game offensively, but had three in Kamwa who, you know, Rick didn't completely throw into the bus after the game, but it was in, Incredibly clear that he was disgusted with what he got from Olivier Camois, who just played 13 minutes in that game, grabbed two rebounds. I mean, Tennessee just no showed on the board, and for for a team that really prides itself on effort and um, you know being prepared, execution, I, I was I was flabbergasted. I mean, I wasn't surprised. I mean, upsets happen in college basketball, I and mean, that didn't that wasn't a stunner. But for Tennessee just to get outworked and, and outhustled the way they did on the glass, I wouldn't I wouldn't never have seen that coming.
1: Rob, a lot of people talking and wanting to compare this to to Michigan, the Michigan game a year ago, right? If if Tennessee doesn't can't score from the perimeter, boy, they got real problems. When they score from the perimeter, they can beat anybody in the country. But when they can't score from the perimeter, just like a year ago in the NCAA tournament, it, here's this is what happens to Tennessee. What do you make of this team offensively when they're not shooting 45%, 50 percent from the field?
0: I mean, they're, they're just not very good, and it's going to be a struggle. And it's going to be ugly, but as bad as they shot the ball yesterday, three for 21 for three-point range, it, they played well. If they just rebound the basketball, they win. It's a broken record. I'm going to keep harping on it, but that's the fact. I mean, Kentucky shot 35% for the game. In Tennessee wasn't great, but they shot 40%. A lot of that was Eurosh, You know, he was nine for 11. Right. But um, still, it's it just yesterday was just all about the rebound. They gave up 13 offensive rebounds and managed three themselves and they managed three offensive rebounds on a day where they had 34 chances to track down their own misses I mean that's that's a pretty low percentage. Yeah, but again super-
2: You ready?
1: Showtime. On
0: May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy.
2: Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes
0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to no. make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now.
2: What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Fall Guy.
1: Only in theaters May 3rd. Read PG-13. Pretty rough it's, day at the office. As
0: bad as they played, I mean, as bad as they looked on offense, if you don't give K- Kentucky those 13 offensive boards, you'd beat them. And um, and there, there's going to be more games like this. But and, you know, if Tennessee had just been even on the rebound battle, they didn't have to win it. If it's just you know, thirty-four to thirty-four, Tennessee wins that game by six or eight points. And uh, this won't be the last time you see Tennessee shoot three for twenty from three-point range. I bet. I mean, I'm not saying you'll see it a bunch, right? But um, uh, but it'll happen again. Do,
1: and, do, does this, I know they didn't finish at the rim? I think I think I had them with five missed layups. I don't know how many of you had them finishing with but but i thought there was pretty clear five layups that they should have finished or had a had a real shot of finishing at the rim and didn't get done well i guess the,
0: I, I, remember, I, I remember three really bad ones two by zakai and one by josiah they're like really late like in the last two minutes yeah and i were that i mean and a couple other tough ones but those were three that were just three that were bunnies
1: and and, and maybe five i had five total but a couple of them were either finish or get fouled right i mean yeah. one of the two type, type deals uh does when you're three for 21, does this team need to to commit to the rim better? Do they need to commit to to attacking the rim, even though they missed some open layups? Is that, is that the counter? Do they need to do more of that? I mean, I'm looking at Josiah's line and I'm not picking on Josiah because he's been out a bunch and and all those things, but two of eight from the field, six of his eight field goal attempts were threes. Is that, I mean, is that a big deal or not a big deal? I mean, I agree with you, but
0: I, I mean, I agree with you in principle, but I just don't think Tennessee has a bunch of guys that are great at driving the basketball and getting to the rim. I mean, Santiago is probably their, their best offensive player. That's not his game. Now, Julian Phillips could do it. He didn't do it yesterday. Two points, and, you know, you, I'm never going to blame a freshman, you know, for, for being the reason Tennessee lost, and he's not the reason Tennessee lost. But in, in that game, uh, that kind of stage, you'd like to see him take more than two shots from the floor. But I just, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, Santiago's game, Tyreek Key's game, Josiah's to some extent with the improvement he's made. I mean, it's, they've got to be able to knock down open three-point shots, and a lot of T- Tennessee's offense is predicated on getting those guys o- open looks. But as far as just having, you know, a pure slasher you know, outside of Julian and, and maybe Mayshack to a certain degree, but I mean, they just don't have a guy that is, you know, got an explosive first step that's going to blow by his man and, and get in the paint and finish. And you know, Phillips needs to be that guy. Man. Again, not blaming all, anything on Julian, but in a game like that, like that game was yesterday, you'd really like to see him be a little more aggressive about using his length and athleticism in the paint. Do,
1: do you think? Do you think the fouls, a couple of those fouls called against him, negated any aggressiveness that he Man, had?
0: I, that one charge that stands out to me that was really—I mean, I—I you know, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was At a best. horrible. Yeah, I mean, I, and I, maybe that maybe that did knock him off his stride. Because that, that was a brutal call. I and mean, I know some fans were gripping about the fouls. But, I mean, Rick Barnes is not shy about, you know, complaining about officiating when, when he thinks it's warranted. And he was not complaining about officiating yesterday. He thought Kentucky, you know, earned those 25 trips to the line by being the more aggressive, by being the attacker. Um, and he, you know, didn't certainly didn't feel like his team brought that to the table. So, but to your question, I you know, I, th- I think maybe the whistle threw, threw Julian off a little bit. But still, I mean, two field goal attempts and in, in, – Almost twenty minutes of work says quite a bit.
1: Yeah, obviously, got to do, got to, they've got to get more out of that, um more out of him offensively, particularly on a night where the other guys are not are not scoring and, and the ball's not going in the in the basket for for them. So, um and, and like you said, there's going to be nights where it's going to be a challenge. That's why they've got to be better on the glass than, than what they were. I mean, turnovers they handled, you know, they didn't turn the ball over. It was. Like I say, you hate to harp on it, but it's it's all about rebounding. And, and Tennessee just got muscled and outworked big time on the glass. Let's talk a little bit about moving ahead now. Look, losses are going to happen, all right? It's not the end of the world. It's it's January the 15th, right? They weren't yeah. going undefeated in the league. Uh, but they do go on the road this week. They gave up a home loss, which is tough, you know, right? Because you got to hold your, your, your servant on your home court when you can. Going on the road this week to Starkville, Mississippi, they just played Mississippi State. That'll be a different game, I would imagine, down there. And then a trip to Baton Rouge with an LSU team that seems to be having a hard time right now, Rob. But that's been a I don't want to say a house of horrors, but that's been a rough place for Tennessee to play at the Meravich Center.
0: Yeah, it has been. And and I would expect, you know, Mississippi State to be a lot better. But I mean, that this is still a team you you just beat by, you know, thirty five points uh a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I, I think Tennessee's should win and Mississippi States really struggled um, since SEC play started. They're one and four. Their only win was over Ole Miss lost at Georgia um, last week. And, and similarly, you, you mentioned, you know, LSU is not having a, a great year. They're also one and four. Um, a couple of those losses, you know, we're at home. They do have the win over Arkansas. So they're capable, but, but you know, first year head coach and Matt McMahon, a lot of roster turnover, um, you know, crazy things happen on the road all the time, but th- these are two games where Tennessee should should take care of business. I mean, it's not going to make up for laying the egg that they did on Saturday, because like you said, you you, you got to hold serve at home, and, and we haven't mentioned it yet. This has nothing to do with the outcome, but man, I I, I hated it on Chris Loft today. You know, it was set up to be perfect. Uh, the fans showed up and showed out despite the noon tip off, and it was you know it had all the makings of a, of a great day, and it turned out to be memorable, but for all the wrong reasons.
1: Yeah, it certainly did. You had a great piece on on Chris on Friday from a lot of different perspectives. And I, and I thought getting other people's perspectives was really important because Chris is not a guy to well, talk not
0: about a great interviewer. He's,
1: he's just not going to talk about himself. He's, he's just not comfortable in that role and, and not what what he's about. Um, it, it's just, it's it's a, you hate the word self-made, but, but there's a lot of self-made in Chris Lofton, right? I mean, it, no. it's not, I mean, he's not the guy who lived on every AAU circuit and and all of those things. His shot's not 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 the normal shot that everybody else has. I mean, he he's kind of a driveway made basketball player, and I think he loves that identity and, and that moniker about him, Don't you?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I he I think he loves that. You know, he's a small town kid. I think you know at the time, I don't think he loved the fact that you know he. Tennessee was the only high major offer they he had. But I, I think over time, I, I think he likes, you know, what that says about him and, and how, how hard he had to work to, to get to where he is. And, man, I tell you, I mean, I mean you're around a lot of former players and stuff too. That that tells you more about a guy than anything or, is what the people that he played with, whether it's football, basketball. And, man, the people that, that played with Chris Lofton, that, that coached Chris Lofton, I mean, the respect is off the charts. I mean, just off the charts, and I, I had a great. You you know Aaron Green well. We both know Aaron. <clears throat> and after the game, um, Aaron was talking with Chris, and I went down to you know, congratulate Chris and, and speak with Aaron for a minute. And you know, Aaron also wore number five right. at, at Tennessee, and he had a running joke with Chris all day. Like, it's about damn time they got out number up there, big man. <laughs> and he also a, a Aaron was Aaron had, had had some great lines. His other his other good one was that. Me and Chris Lofton were number five and combined to make 508 three-porters in our career. <laughs> now, he made 431 of them.
1: <laughs> yes, 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 he did. Uh, that, that's uh, just an unbelievable career. And we, we can talk about highlights of him. And, and, you know, everybody talks about the game-winning shot against Winthrop. Uh, I remember how well he played against Memphis and Knoxville that first uh, half early game, on. Man. I mean, that was just an unbelievable performance at Rupp Arena. He, 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 he was unbelievable. But, but here's the best way I describe, would describe what Chris, Chris Lofton is, is when you want to do a story on Chris Lofton, if you call five people, you're getting a call back from one of them before you get all five numbers dialed because if you leave them a message and you say, I want to talk to you about Chris Lofton for a story I'm doing, man, they people just drop everything to talk about him, Rob. Yep. I mean, like I- everybody immediately returns the phone call. Chris Ferguson, I, I
0: mean, I, I, I had a great relationship with Ferg. I know you, you did too, but I haven't spoken to Chris or, or seen him, you know, maybe 10 years, picked up the phone immediately. He's like, Hey Rob, I know what you want up <laughs> there. Dame Bradshaw is, you know, got four kids, works two jobs. He had no problem taking 15 minutes to tell Chris Lofton stories. Steve Forbes, um, who I still stay in touch with, had an official visitor in his family in from Denmark he was out to dinner with him on Thursday and called me back at 10 30 at night. Cause he, cause I had told him he knew what I wanted. And uh, after he dropped the kid, their parents off at their hotel, called me on his way back, you know, home because and again, because of Chris and, yeah and, and you're exactly right.
1: Yeah. People, people line up to want to talk about him. People that know him. Um, he's just, he, he's that's who he is. I mean, he, he's just one of those, one of those guys. And that's what makes him, Unique, well beyond any three-point shots made. Tennessee needs three-point shots to fall, Rob. Um, this this week for Tennessee, um, wh- what do you expect out of Tennessee? I mean, I'm, I know you expect a bounce back, but what, I do. what do you what do you look for? Um, what, what do you is there anything in particular you've got an eye on other than just a rebounding number this week? Olivier
0: Camois, how does he play? Bouncing back, he's he's been good in the past when Ricky's challenged him. I can guarantee you that kid is getting challenged. I mean, I, based off you yeah. know. Rick's nonverbal communication on on Saturday and knowing how he goes. I'll be looking for Olivier and Julian Phillips. I think, I think Saturday's game. I mean, Julian, Tennessee's played a tough schedule. Julian's been in some big games. I think that was kind of an eye opener for Julian Phillips for the, the intensity conference play. What a rivalry like that means. I mean, Kentucky's not been playing great, but they, they showed up and they're, they're, they're a prideful program and, and they they looked like it on Saturday, and I I will I think Julian will, will respond the right way. I'll be surprised if he doesn't answer the bell, based off his makeup.
1: Last question, want we'll to let you out the door. What Would you make anything of the league overall? I mean, Arkansas's had injuries, so they're struggling. That was obviously a, a a tense game with a crazy ending with no handshakes and all that against Vanderbilt. Georgia's been a bit of a surprise to me, Rob. Oh they, yeah, very much so. I didn't see with with Mike White. What do you make of the first couple of weeks of conference play? Right? Uh, it's
0: it's know? early, but I, the league is not as good as I thought it would be. I mean, I, Texas A and M. Now, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on them. Are they for real? Arkansas, not again. They have the injuries. That's that's really hurt them. And you know, I don't want to get all tabloid, but you know, the stuff that's coming out of Alabama today, you have to wonder. You know what that's going to do to to their team, to their season. I mean, I'm not making light of it at, at all. I mean, it's it's a far more you know, serious situation the basketball, but um you have to wonder if that's not gonna really, you know, have some ramifications inside well, that room.
1: They've been impressive on the court though. I mean they really had, impressive. they're impressive. And, and Brandon
0: good. Miller, I mean I thought Brandon Miller would be good. I didn't think he would be this good. I'm really impressed with that kid. And that's one that I mean Tennessee loved him and you know worked hard to get him. But I you know he's obviously has some family connections to Alabama. But he's he's been spectacular.
1: Yeah, he has been terrific. And for Tennessee, this is a big week. You know, when you have opportunities on the road, you got to take advantage of them. Tennessee with two this week. How do they bounce back after what was just a very disappointing Saturday at Thompson Bowling Arena? Rob, appreciate it, my man. Got plenty of coverage. You got the three, two, one coming up tomorrow, and then obviously Tennessee back in action Tuesday. This team's probably pretty happy they're playing a Tuesday night game instead of a Wednesday night <laughs> I'd game. Say
0: one less, one less day on the practice court with that old guy this week is. It's something that they will all enjoy. Yeah,
1: and they will probably look forward to that. But that is a seven o'clock Eastern time start, right? in Startville, Mississippi. So an early game uh, in Mississippi uh, at Mississippi State uh, against the Bulldogs, and then Baton Rouge coming up this weekend. All right, Rob, we look forward to all your hoops coverage. Thank you, my man. We appreciate it. All right, thanks, Albert. All right, thanks. That's Rob Lewis joining us here on the Rocky Top Rewind with all the latest on the Tennessee basketball team. Again, trying to bounce back after that 63-56 to 56 loss to Kentucky in a, in a game no one saw Tennessee losing. They were heavy favorites at home. Kentucky had not been playing well. Tennessee had been playing great. I realize it's college basketball, but certainly a missed opportunity at home for Tennessee. How do they bounce back this week? We'll have it all covered for you at VolQuest.com. We'll get a quick break. When we come back, Austin Price and – Probably some VolQuest gear would be my guess. We'll join us on the other side here on the Rocky Top Rewind as we wrap this edition up. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. I am Brent Hobbs. Glad to have you along with us on this Sunday night. Austin Price must have all of his Volquist gear in the laundry or packed up for his next road adventure. But he joins us here on the Rocky Top Rewind on this Sunday night. So if you got a recruiting question, transfer portal question, Tennessee football question, Baseball question. A great interview with Tony Vitello. If you didn't miss that, if you didn't catch that, Ball Club Confidential. You need to catch that and go check it out. It's on the site right now. It's also on the YouTube channel as well. Um, You'll enjoy that one. We got more Ball Club Confidential coming up later this week as well. Uh, Plenty of other things to talk about as Austin joins us now. AP had had uh, Matt Ray on earlier. He was bringing all the goods from Junior Day. But I'm going to ask you a very similar question as uh, we'll, we'll wait for some questions to line up here from some people watching as well. Your biggest takeaway from
3: Tennessee's first junior day following the season they just had. Well, I, I thought Brent, you know, a really good turnout and, and some high end guys, you know, some five-star players, um, some really solid uh, out of state uh, players and, and, You know, there were some nice in-state players this year as well. You know, Edmund Spillman was in with his brother, Nate, who was on his visit, and then Bucard, Marcus Gorey. Um, You know, I would expect guys like George McIntyre, who's a 25. Um, You know, I I would expect, you know, Cameron Sparks, Amari Jefferson, um, you know, Kamaro Brown. I would expect those players to be here uh, the 28th. And so, you know, I think when you look at kind of what Tennessee got accomplished yesterday – I think you would say they stayed relevant. You know, 11 wins did not fall on deaf ears with many of the uh, high-end 2024s. Look at Mike Matthews. He chose to come to Tennessee yesterday instead of going to the Georgia National Championship celebration. I mean, this is a guy who's from Atlanta, is getting recruited by the who's who of college football. And – You know, he chose to come up here yesterday. I I think that speaks volumes about kind of where Tennessee's at on the mind of recruits. Doesn't mean you're going to land everybody you go after, but it does mean that you're a factor more for top end players than you were 18 months ago at this time when you couldn't hardly get any traction at all. So, I mean, you you really, if you think about it, let's see, about 21 months ago, Tennessee took Elijah Herring and that kind of got him a little bit of momentum, a little bit of traction it still kind of stayed stagnant there um, for the most part for a few more months. And then they kind of started to go. And then when they started winning a few games and showed the brand of ball they play in this league, it kind of really got taken off. But, I mean, you know, at this time two years ago, there was no traction. They were in the middle of a coaching change. Um, Tennessee seemed like they were, you know, an afterthought for anybody that was a big-timer in college football recruiting. That's definitely not the case now. Yeah, certainly
1: it's nice to have tangible proof of who you are and what you are instead of selling a hope and a dream out there, you're, you're, you're selling particularly to those receivers. This is what it is. I mean, it's two years of guys who kind of popped out of nowhere. I right? said, yeah. Gilman comes out of the blue and has the big year. He has, he was obviously slowed this year by injury. And then Jalen height goes out and wins the bullet award. I, I think that reaps, I think that reaps big benefits for the Ryan Ringo's and, and the Mike Matthews and the JJ Harrels of the world. I, I think that if you want to know what, what success means? There's an example of what success means, in my opinion, in recruiting.
3: Well, it does, and I mean it's not, and it's not just the, the wide receivers too. It's, I mean, you know, you, you look at the, the DBs that were here from St. Francis with Iffy and then Farouk, and, um, and then you look at the the big five star defensive lineman from the state of Missouri that was here. And I'm mean, until I learn it, I don't try to attempt to pronounce these names. Um, but uh, you know, they just they're, they're they're more of a cool school now. And, um, you know, again, I, I think that, you know, Tennessee's just got to stay after it. Again, you're going against the best of the best. Landing those type of players is not going to be easy. You're going to land maybe a few, but most of the time you'll fail because that's, again, that's how this works. I mean, for the top-end guys, if you land a couple of cycle, that's that's great. You want to try to start landing that guy, the, the players that are from like 100 to 250. You need to land your, your line share of those. And so – Um, You know, for the 2024s, I think Tennessee's positioned well. We've said that for months that the impact of 11 and two would be far greater on 2024 than it ever was in 2023. I think that bears out and uh, we'll see if Tennessee can keep it going on the field. But, you know, I I think for the most part, a really, really solid junior day. And I think it's poised to be just as big, if not bigger in two weeks. All right, let's uh, get with a couple of questions here on the side that uh, in the comment section,
1: Austin A's got one. Is Tennessee still recruiting Mazio Bennett?
3: They are, um, but at the same time, I mean, once that one kind of went the other direction, it's kind of hard for me to see him ending up in this class. I mean, he it, it feels like that, you know, he's trying to find something besides Tennessee. He was obviously at Alabama. Uh, is Kelsey Pope still recruiting him? Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I don't think Tennessee's, you know, losing any sleep, you know, with Mazio. They'd love to have had him in this class. They think he's a fantastic player, but you can't, you know, sit around and and wait on him to maybe try to give you another look. You've got to go out there and continue to recruit top-end players. That's what they've done with McClellan, Wingo, Mike Matthews, who can play either side of the ball, J.J. Harrell, um, you know, and then there's players in this state like Amari Jefferson, who I think can definitely play at, at this level. He's committed to Tennessee for baseball, but I think he could very well end up as a football prospect for all said and done. Yeah. I mentioned this to Matt earlier. It feels like year two
1: with Kelsey Pope, he's got a deeper recruiting board early on. We'll see what it, we'll see what it turns into, but it feels like right now that there there's, there are more names early on on that receiver recruiting board than we saw at any point last year when it was, it really felt like it was two guys, maybe three guys all year long for Tennessee.
3: Well, it was. It was Kyler Casper early, and then that didn't work out. And then Carnell Tate, they kept trying with Noah Rogers deep in Never got anywhere. Never got anywhere. Never got into campus. Um, You know, uh, but you're right. I mean, it was, you know, Nathan Laycock, you know, Cam Selden, who, again, is more of a jack of of all trades, can play running back, receiver, a lot of different positions. Um, You know, I'm, I'm with you. It definitely feels like the board is bigger. Yeah. All right. Uh, Vols Bravos wants to know any updates on tight ends,
1: including in the 23 class or the 24 class. Let's start with 23. Do you think Tennessee is comfortable with that, with that tight end room right now in terms of depth, or do you think they would still entertain a tight end transfer out there? I don't think there's a high school kid late. Do you think they would entertain a transfer tight end if he had multiple
3: years of eligibility left? I think they would post spring. I think what you're going to find in spring is, hey, we we need to add to that room. And so I think that there's a chance that if the right player went in post-spring, they would absolutely try to add somebody post-spring. It's kind of like quarterback. You know, if you can find someone, you're going to take them. But, again, finding someone um, who's willing to come in and not be the guy is is going to be uh, harder than you think and, and tough to come by. So I think with, it won't be as bad with tight ends, but at the same time, like – you know Jacob Warren, McAllen Castles. The one thing you can say about you know, trying to find another tight end to per, you know perspective tight end that has multiple years left. Is, hey, those guys are one for ones. Like they're gone after next year, and so you know the following year would be you and Ethan Davis. Um, so I, I think that that's definitely possible. But the question is, is who's going to be the tight ends coach? Right. And, and, and so like you know when I look at that, I'm I'm looking firmly, you know, at three candidates. I'm looking. So, okay. I'm looking at
1: look at you dropping nuggets tonight all right here we go Let's, I'm, I'm looking,
3: let, me get, let me get my sheet of paper no wonder you were calling me earlier and i didn't take your phone call I, go I, ahead. I, i'm looking at jeff ferris i'm all looking right at Je- jeff hold on
1: jeff ferris is from
3: ucla for those yeah who who's who from know. knoxville um right. originally played at knoxville catholic coached to duke under david cucliffe i'm looking at seth Littrell, or latrell however you say it it's l-i-t-t-r-e-l-l um former head coach at north texas i think that uh, you know, that's place that Josh Heupel would absolutely look. They've known each other for a long time. And then on staff, I would look at Alec Abelin, one of those three. Now, I think Ablin's probably at the bottom of the list as far as just, like, what all he offers. Like, he's never been on the field uh, and never run a room, and he's never been a recruiter. Now, what he has had is an extensive length of time with this offense and with this staff. You know, he played under Hype, played under Elderby, has coached under Hype and coached under Elderby every step of the way outside of a brief stop at Ole Miss. He makes a lot of sense in certain situations, but I think you've got to have a recruiter, which goes back to Luttrell or Jeff Ferris. And I think those two uh, make the most sense from a standpoint of either knowing Hypel or being able to recruit the South and meshing well with a staff um, that, uh, you know, kind of handles itself a certain way. So – you know, that's kind of where I'm at, as we said here on Sunday night, January 15th. Um, as for a timeline on when Heupel will make a hire, your guess is as good as mine. I could tell you that a week from now, we'll be sitting here talking about Tennessee making a hire. I could also tell you that this thing drags into, you know, February. But I think sometime January, late January, um, is probably the, you know, that makes the most sense um, for a tight ends hire. And Ferris is the
1: one guy he would have to get to know that, that and from an interview process interview standpoint would want to spend some real time with because of the, because he, he's got a deeper relationship with the other two
3: guys. That's correct. Now I'll say this. I do believe that there has been a few moments where he and Joey Halsley have b- bumped into one another out recruiting over the years. So I think those two at least are acquaintances. He and Jerry Mack know each other quite well. And so like there are some ties there. Okay. That kind of like it's not just like you know, learning from the ground up for the entire staff. Now again, for Heiple, yeah, I think that you know he and Jeff would have to get to know each other, um, you know, more. I mean, I think they've met a couple of times at a couple, of, you know, you know, whether it be a coaches convention or whatever. Over time, I, I don't think that they're they're regular acquaintances, talking on the phone or right, you know, buddies or anything. Um, so like, I think that you know those two would have to kind of you know learn each other, but I'm not saying the whole staff would. I think that that there would be an inner, inner two there, um, you know, if if Jeff Ferris were the pick of Josh Hypo and the offensive staff.
0: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
3: And again, I think, you know, Seth Luttrell makes sense in a lot of ways too because, again, he and Hypo have known each other. Um, you know, to me, I think those would be the top two. And again, if he, if he promotes from within, it would be Alec Ablin, um, who has, again, played for LRB and Hypo at Missouri. Has coached with him the last several years. He just hasn't been on the field and he hasn't recruited. And again, that's going to be the thing that he had. If he's to get the job, he's got to prove. And I don't know how you do this, but he's got to prove. Hey, I can overcome these things that are unknowns at this point.
1: Yeah, and again, where, where is Josh Heupel prioritizing? What is he prioritizing in the hire? What What is? What are the most? What are the most important two or three things for him? in terms of, of filling this position? What, what does he need? Where does where does he prioritize the recruiting ability versus someone who knows his system and et cetera, those types of things, and who knows exactly what Josh Heupel is thinking in, in that regard at this point in time? Right, let me ask you about quarterbacks. You, you mentioned transfer quarterback. I'm with you. I think that's going to be really challenging, right, to go get somebody who's going to come in knowing he's battling to be the third quarterback on this roster. Um, you know, is what he would feel like coming in. I think when you look at where Tennessee's quarterback room is, how does, how does Taven Jackson's departure now that he's going to Indiana in the transfer portal, how does that change how Tennessee approaches the class of 2024 quarterback recruiting um, moving forward? When you look, Joe Milton's going to be gone. You're going to have Nico um, and then you're going to have, you know, that's the only scholarship guy you're going to have on your roster. How do they approach the twenty four class now?
3: Well, I think Merklinger down at the, down in Savannah, you know, makes a lot of sense in twenty four. You know, um, what does Cutter Bowley do? You know, I mean, I, he's slated to be a twenty five, but technically, I think he could get out in twenty four if 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 a school really wanted him. But again, I don't think that's his preference, though. I think his preference is to stay in twenty five. Um, you know what what happens? You know, you know with with any of those guys, and then again, how does the season play out? You know, um, I think. I mean, again, you may find somebody post spring that's willing to kind of, you know, just be depth and and you know, be at a place like Tennessee. What Clemson's done, and I've continued to beat this drum for the last couple I of weeks. It's a great point. What but Clemson's ahead. done has done a great job of finding the rare unicorns that are comfortable being depth. They want to be coaches. They want to get a head start on being a GA, and you become really kind of a playing GA in a lot of ways. You start learning on the fly, but you're also going through practice. You're still available to, you know, suit up and play if need be. And and they've done that with Hunter Johnson, who would have been the guy had Cade Klubnick had to come out of the Orange Bowl. He would have been the guy coming in. The former Tennessee commit turned Clemson signee, turned Northwestern transfer, turned grad transfer back to Clemson. Um, you know, and then they've done that with Paul Tyson, former uh, Alabama slash Arizona State quarterback, who is the grandson of Bear Bryant. Uh, going forward, he will be that kind of like playing GA, kind of like learning on the fly. Those are few and far between. But what they've done there is really impressive because it's quality depth, where you're not falling all the way to some lowly backup who's, you know, doesn't throw it that well and is, you know, not not that big. So, you know, I think what Tennessee's going to struggle with is finding that person. So to me, it most likely is Gaston Moore as the three. They'll try to find a quality walk on if there's one available um to add to the roster outside of that i just it's hard to see them adding anybody but how does the season go would be my question if joe is the guy i don't think you will you sweat that much next year but i do think that there's a real a real pause heading into 2000 and you know 24 because you know nico is going to be the guy and who's behind him you know i mean i'm just can you can you sign anybody in the twenty four class? Now you'd yeah. be young in that
1: room, regardless. You know, with a second year player in Nico, but I mean, c- can you find a twenty somebody in the twenty four who's a quality guy who says, "Yeah, I'm going to come in and compete"? You know, with with Nico after seeing him practice and and watching whatever happens unfold during the season, I, I don't I don't think it's a lock AP that that a twenty four guy is just going to say, "Yeah, I want to." I want to come be in that room and come be a part of things. I, I don't I'm not saying they can't get one because I believe they can, but it, it almost feels like they've got to find a little bit of a diamond in the rough or, or have a really good evaluation on a kid early, similar to what they did with Taven Jackson, right I mean Taven Jackson wasn't the highest acclaimed guy when they got him, and I think we saw enough out of Taven Jackson to think he could have developed into a solid player at Tennessee
3: Yeah, 100 percent you know I, I think that you know Taven saw the writing on the wall. And, and decided, you know, I could go through spring, but the chances of me actually getting any kind of real run at Tennessee are not great. So why not go ahead and jump to the portal, get to my, get to, to my second school, get a jump start on, on Indiana? I think that was always his backup plan. I think some of these players, you know, I'm not going to say names, but there's always been a set backup plan for certain quarterbacks. And sometimes they're still there, sometimes they're not. In this instance, you know, for Taven, Indiana was absolutely still there. His brother's still there for the time being, playing basketball. Just made too much sense. Everybody kind of knew where that one was going. Had it not been Indiana, it would have been a, a real shocker. Um, but you know, Austin A. Besides the fact that he's talking about me wearing my tailor-made gear, and Hubbs is right, my all my new Volk West gear in my suitcase as I head off uh, to the Polynesian Bowl tomorrow. Uh, you know, he, he he says I'm not going to say the quiet part out loud. But what if Nico isn't the guy? Well, I mean, that could be the case for anybody. You know, I mean, you, know, you don't know until the bullets start flying. Everybody has continued to say, what do you think of Nico? You've seen Nico. What do you think of Nico? And I said, he can make every throw you want. Jared Garantano can make every throw you want too. Then all of a sudden, it comes down to coaching, kid between the ears. And, and, and so, like, you know, Jarrett was on an NFL roster this year. No one would have predicted that a couple of years ago, right? Right means the coaching. Look at the look at the Giants and look at the Jaguars. Those those rosters haven't changed a whole lot from last year when they were both terrible. But what has changed is the staff and how they're coached and how they're developed. And all of a sudden, boom, 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 those guys can play, which comes back to development. I think that that's, you know, what Joey Halsley and what, you know, Josh Heupel are really good at. I would be shocked if Nico isn't that guy. Um you know, I, I was shocked with, with J.G. having watched him throw it around in high school, having watched him live work out in New York. But again, it was who was coaching him, all the turnover, four offensive coordinators in four years. And I think he just got beat up mentally and and, and struggled. I think if he played for Josh Heupel, it would been different because I think they would have built him up instead of tearing him down.
1: All right, last question because we're running out of time. I guess we're officially into overtime here, but i got to ask this one on the the way out the door to close out this installment of the Rewind. Um, You have the the portal window closes Thursday. Classes start at Tennessee a week from tomorrow, Monday. Where is Tennessee from a roster transition standpoint transfer portal-wise here in this last week?
3: Well, you know, I, I'm still not going to close the door on somebody hopping in the portal between now and Wednesday night at midnight slash Thursday morning. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's still a possibility. I think Tennessee's sitting there, you want to say three or four under. Um, I, I I know there are people on our board that get on there and they count. They're like, I've got them at 86. I'm like, okay, well, that's not the case. So like, like <laughs> I don't know who you're counting, but that's not the case. Um, point is, is like, I I think there's some options to add post spring. And I think that's really where you'll see Tennessee. I think there's probably an additional add sometime between now and next weekend. Um, And and like I said, I think there's also the possibility of an additional subtraction between now and next weekend. Um, We'll see if any of that materializes. All right. We'll keep a close tab on that. And obviously we have
1: coverage from the Polynesian bowl. I'm still trying to figure this one out, but anyway. Um,
3: hey hubs, I I, 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 joked with my wife. I, I got,
1: I got Jedi mind tricked, I believe.
3: I, I, well, I mean, I, I thought about going Tim Allen and, you know, from Christmas with the cranks and like having the fork and like <laughs> the water's falling out my mouth. I've had Botox and had my spray tan, you know, getting ready yeah
1: yeah that's it getting ready full coverage of Nico and, and Cam Camp Seldon still there is he is he no he there?
3: he ended up deciding not to go he played in the army game and a little too much travel and honestly he has one of the weird the one of the rare high schools that you know they do they, they go to Christmas break and the semester's not over so he actually his last day of high school was a couple of days ago oh he had to go back to school he had to go back yeah. to school wow uh, and his <laughs> last day of high school was Friday
1: Okay, so uh, Nico will be there. You'll have some stuff from Nico coming up this week as uh, you make your way around the islands for a little more than than just covering the Polynesian Bowl. But while you're there, right, get a little bit of uh, Polynesian Bowl coverage. So we've got that coming up this week. Uh, again, Rob with the three, two, one tomorrow to get you started in basketball. Tennessee plays Tuesday night. Uh, in basketball in Starkville, Mississippi, and then Saturday in Baton Rouge, we got full basketball coverage coming up this week. We'll have the podcast for you on Tuesday and the mailbag edition on Thursday and plenty of more coverage from Tennessee's Junior Day this past weekend from Matt Ray as well. So all that is coming up throughout the week this week at fallquest.com. For Austin Price, I'm Brent Hobbs. That's going to do it for this edition of the Rocky Top Rewind. As you head out the door, be sure and hit the like button on this. If you're not a subscriber to our YouTube channel, I highly encourage you to do that. But more importantly, if you like recruiting, you like football, you like basketball and great conversation and content, Jump on board at VaultQuest right now. You're not going to regret that subscription to VaultQuest.com. For Austin Price, Matt Ray, and Rob Lewis for joining us earlier. I am Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us on this Sunday night and this edition of the Rocky Top Rewind. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry?
2: Ooh, a book club.